Are you ready for it? Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome in, one and all, to the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I am your host today, Kyle Settle. Brett Pelashotti will be joining us a little later. Look forward to going over a full slate of preseason games with you. So, without further ado, let's dive right in. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Extra, extra, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. The New England Patriots blank the Philadelphia Eagles 35 to nothing back on last Thursday. Jacoby Myers went three for 56 with a touchdown, and he looks like the new alpha in New England. Go ahead and get your shares while you can. Cam Newton looked much improved as a thrower of the football. He goes eight and nine for a bucko three and a touchdown. Mac Jones comes in in relief and does what the game manager extraordinaire is known to do. 13 of 19 for 146 through the air. All of these New England running backs look good. Damian Harris goes 6 for 14 and a touch. Sony Michelle, 7 for 34, but four catches for 37 yards. Usually not his forte, but being involved early here in the preseason through the passing game. Of course, Hermundre Stevenson, 15 carries in relief duty, 66 yards and a couple of touchdowns. So back-to-back big preseason games for Ramondre and J.J. Taylor. Final standout for this running back room. 12 carries, 93 yards and a tutty with three catches for 18 yards. On the Philly side of the house, Devontae Smith, he goes two catches for 19 yards. Started shaky with a couple of drops, but ended solid before the day was done. And Kenneth Gainwell in relief duties, five carries, 21 yards, and three catches for 23 yards. Good catching, but needs to improve his blocking if he's going to get on the field consistently for the Eagles. Moving on to the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Washington football team. Washington gets the win 17-13. Jamar Chase completely drops the ball. He goes 0 for 3 on targets without a catch. No reason to be worried, fantasy owners. He is a rookie. He hasn't played football in, what, 18 months? It's been a while. All right? Give him some time to shake off the rust. Joe Mixon playing all three downs. Didn't do a lot with it, but the fact that he is on the field just like we expected for all three downs for the Bengals is an encouraging sign for fantasy owners. On the other side of the ball, Antonio Gibson. Seven carries, 28 yards, and two catches for 19, but still not playing those third down and obvious passing situation snaps. Still relinquishing those duties to J.D. McKissick. And, of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he finishes 7-13 for 96 yards. Just important to remember, Ryan Fitzpatrick, always better in theory than what he actually puts on the field. Moving on to the Chiefs and the Cardinals, Kansas City wins that matchup 17-10. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Very involved as a receiver, good game on the ground, but of course did suffer that ankle injury. It looks like he avoided anything major, but still something to keep an eye on as we are just a couple of weeks away from the season opener. 
All the Kansas City ancillary wide receivers all played inconsistently with some highs, with some lows. Still waiting to see if someone's going to break out of that passing game alongside Tyreek Hill and, of course, Travis Kelsey. Arizona, they look awful. Descripted plays that Kingsbury's trying to draw up are just completely putrid. And when Kyler Murray takes into account that it's the preseason, decides not to improvise and run off on his own, that's what you get with the Arizona Cardinals. Cliff Kingsbury's time is coming to an end, and it's what it's going to take for this offense to really blow up. Moving on to Chicago, where the Buffalo Bills beat down on the Bears, 41-15. Justin Fields goes 9 of 19 80 yards throwing and the fans of Justin Fields right now I swear y'all need a sedative calm the hell down he's facing vanilla cover two defenses and he's not getting a spy that is never going to happen when he gets his starts during regular season action he looks fine but his ball security his arm accuracy these are issues he's had four or five turnover worthy plays in his two starts here in the preseason he has all the physical tools we need this but let's not pretend that we can anoint him the second coming Rodney Adams goes three for 89 with a long touchdown, but let me remind you before you rush to your waiver wire to put him in. All right, he entered the NFL back in 2017, was out of football for two years. He's now in his second season with Chicago and has one active career game to his name. He's 26 years old. It's a bit late for a breakout who's never even had a statistic, much less a breakout season on his resume. Leave him on your waiver wire where he belongs. Devin Singletary goes two for 21 and a touchdown, one catch for five yards. He looked quick out there. Zach Moss, four carries for 21 yards. He looked just fine. If this is going to be a split backfield, Singletary definitely the back that I want. He can do more with fewer attempts. Moving to Lambeau, where the New York Jets beat the Green Bay Packers by a score of 23-14. Zach Wilson looked outstanding. 8 of 11, 128 yards, and two touchdowns through the air. Hey, we told you about this kid over a month ago. You need to be listening. Keep it locked in right here for those kind of takes, telling you that everyone's sleeping on Zach Wilson. Through two weeks of the preseason, he may be the best of these rookie quarterbacks so far. And his number one target, Corey Davis, had an outstanding day four catches, 70 yards. Davis, of course, on his second contract, but looks to be locked in as the number one receiver for the first time in his career since he was a rookie. Tevin Coleman gets the start, and Ty Johnson in relief. Those two combined for 10 carries and 39 yards, playing ahead of Michael Carter. Carter came in in relief, had 10 carries for 52 yards, but was not sharing the field with the starting quarterback, Zach Wilson. A.J. Dillon, if you got a peep at what he did early on, beating down the Jets' number one defense, four carries for 28 yards. He looked outstanding, rolling over that putrid Jets defense. Another running back for Green Bay who looked good, Kylan Hill, seven carries, 29 yards, and a touchdown, a couple of catches for 11 yards. He has solidified that RB3 role in Green Bay. Definitely worth a stash at the end of your bench. Should something happen to Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon, he should pop right into rotation and be fantasy relevant. Ravens and Panthers, it's Baltimore with the win 20-3 over Carolina. J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards both split early to start the first couple of series. Each of them got four carries, and both of them look great. It's all going to come down to the usage there for those Baltimore running backs. A running back who, in my opinion, does not look great is Chuba Hubbard. He had nine carries for 24 yards. He's circumstantial relevance right now, folks. Once McCaffrey's on the field, obviously he leaves, but even as a handcuff, I just don't think he has the skill set necessary for three-down work like we saw out of Mike Davis in relief last season. If you want to stash him as a handcuff, that's on you, but he's one of the first guys that I'm cutting on my dynasty bench. Terrace Marshall, 
three catches, 50 yards, and he's getting targets all over the field. He's playing out of the big slot role for Carolina right now, which of course has fantasy relevance, but we're seeing him get targets at the line of scrimmage, 20 yards downfield. The kid can do it all. Next up, the Falcons and Dolphins. Atlanta loses this one to Miami 37-17. Only fantasy player of relevance on the field for Atlanta. Javian Hawkins did not see real time until the fourth quarter. He had five carries for 46 yards. He's a deep stash for some of you who, thinks he might, who think he might get a chance at the Atlanta backfield. I'm not one of those guys. A lot of fantasy-relevant players playing on the opposite side of the field in Miami. Tua Tungavailoa, we're going to talk about him a little bit later today. He was outstanding. 16 for 23, a buck 83 through the air, and one touchdown. Looked decisive, looked efficient, looked very much the guy who we were talking up as the number one potential overall pick just a few years ago. His supporting weapons, Jalen Waddle, his main target, three catches, 21 yards. Remember, no Will Fuller, no Devontae Parker, but right now, Jalen Waddle looks the part. At running back, Miles Gaskin, a complete resurgence after laying an egg and being kept off the field in week one. He had six carries for 27 yards and a touchdown, along with four catches, 44 yards and a touchdown. He should be the RB1 for that Miami offense. Now, if you are an owner, you have second life here. You have a second opportunity. Sell, sell, sell. He is not going to be the starting running back for this team a year from now. If you need that year of relevance, fine, hang on. Just remember, you have an asset that's going to be completely worthless a calendar year from now. The entire offense for Miami looks fast, looks aggressive. They look great playing against backups on a bottom 10 defense. Next up, the Titans and the Buccaneers. 34-3, the Titans win that one, starting with the Bucs. Tyler Johnson, two catches, 21 yards. He's the best wide receiver for in the NFL. I love him as a stash. You may see a completely different wide receiver core for the Buccaneers going into as soon as next season. Look for Tyler Johnson to take that step up. Someone just hasn't taken the step up for a few years now, and that's O.J. Howard. He had three catches for 24 yards, playing with the backups, of course, and had multiple drops. Those of us holding on to O.J. Howard at the end of our bench have to be worried with what he's put on the field over the last few years when he has happened to get on it. Kyle Trask. The former third-round pick, or the, just the most recent third-round pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He goes 13 of 26 for 131 yards and two picks. Looks far from the heir apparent to Tom Brady in this Bruce Arian system as of right now. Anthony Ferkser gets a couple of catches for 15 yards. Looks very much the 2019 Austin Hooper role, where he's going to settle in for those easy targets, those hooks, those slants over the middle of the field and provide that security blanket for Ryan Tannehill since it's most likely not coming in the form of a running back as Derrick Henry just does not catch the football. Look for Anthony Ferkser to go over 100 targets this season and a lot of those easy catches over the middle of the field. Next up, the Detroit Lions playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh gets the win 26-20. Not many starters playing for the Lions. The Steelers, however, sent their entire first offense out there for several series to beat up on a bottom two NFL team's backups. All you can really take from this, Equinemius, or sorry, Amon Ross St. Brown, two catches, 12 yards. All the Steelers starters looked great, but again, they are playing against the backups on one of the worst teams in the league. Colts and Vikings, 12-10, our final score with Indianapolis getting the win. Sam Ellinger gets the start over Jacob Eason. He goes 8-13 of 13 for 70 yards. Did throw a couple of interceptions, but both of those were on tip passes. In my opinion, Ellinger looks like the backup to own in Indianapolis. Superflex, of course, only. 
Kellen Mond goes 6 of 12 for 61 yards. He had some ups, he had some downs, but he showed some good tools. I still like this guy late in super flex and even in single quarterback if I'm holding on to him in dynasty to be the heir apparent of Kirk Cousins. Amir Smith-Marset, he had no catches, a couple of targets, but he looked really good in return duties. And of course, we've seen that return role take young wide receivers and propel them into relevance early in their fantasy careers. Keep an eye on Smith-Marset. Next down to Texas, where the Houston Texans and the Dallas Cowboys dueled it out. Really only two takeaways to have from this game. This Cowboys offense is going to be a lot of fun, and the Texans offense is not. Moving on, the Raiders and the Rams. 17-16, our final score. Vegas gets the wins. Hardly any starters playing this game. Some deep players of relevance. Tutu Atwell goes eight catches for 46 yards on 13 targets. He was heavily involved in the game plan. Jake Funk goes 7 of 56, and Xavier Jones 7 of 29 with a catch for 10 yards. Just some deeper plays if you're looking at that L.A. running back room. And Nathan Peterman had three turnovers, of course. Broncos and the Seahawks. Denver gets a 30-3 win over the Seahawks. Teddy Bridgewater gets the start. Looks pretty good. Put himself back in the conversation for week one starter. 9 for 11, 105 yards and a touchdown. And then Drew Lott goes 9-14 with 80 yards with the backups. He was inconsistent. Definitely a fall off from what he showed us on week one. That QB competition is wide open. Javante Williams, he did have a quote-unquote fumble at the goal line where his offensive lineman sort of stripped the ball away from him in a dog pile at the goal line. Other than that, I thought he looked pretty good. His numbers weren't great. Seven carries, 20 yards, and one catch for five. I think he looks solid, very much the number one uh, running back by the end of this season in Denver and very much the first-round pick that we drafted him to be. Speaking of first-round draft picks, Rashad Penny goes five carries for eight yards, one catch for six. He looks like toast. I, won't, I will be surprised at this point if he even makes the final 53 for Seattle. He just doesn't look good. He looks like toast, and he doesn't look like he's going to be able to handle any early downs work if something were to happen to Chris Carson. Someone who didn't look bad, DJ Dallas, three catches, 27 yards. Looked great in the returning game and receiving game. Now, part of me is really excited for what DJ Dallas might be. The other part of me remembers back a few years thinking that this is just the next iteration of CJ ProSize in Seattle. Still worth a stash in all formats in Dynasty. Next up, we had the Giants and the Browns. Not a lot of names for fantasy relevance in this one. It's probably the most boring bad team in the league and the Giants against the most boring good team in the league against the Browns. 17-13, Cleveland gets the win. Not a lot of fantasy impact. 49ers and Chargers, 15-10, the Niners get the win. And after a slow start, it was a strong finish for Trey Lance. He goes 8-14, of 102 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. The one pick came off a tip pass. One thing I want you to keep in mind, why it seems like I am just the biggest Trey Lance proponent while I continuously downplay what Justin Fields is doing. Fields is taking a lot on the ground on, like I said, vanilla cover twos with no spy. Trey Lance is not running right now. Trey Lance is staying in pocket, trying to make things happen in rhythm and working on the fundamentals of playing the quarterback position. This is the main difference between the two. Both of them have amazing talent, both with big arms, both can run. The only difference is Trey Lance isn't putting it on tape here in the preseason, all right, which is what I think is going to help him in his development and why I have him firmly at my number two QB position in Dynasty. Outside of that, Joshua Kelly looks very much a guy, just a guy on the other side of the field for LA. 
I know that we're holding on to either Joshua Kelly or Justin Jackson looking for that handcuff to Austin Eckler, but I think it's going to be very similar to last year where neither of these guys are very fantasy relevant should something happen to that primary back in L.A. One guy in L.A. that I definitely have an eye on is Jalen Guyton. He had another big play, one catch, 39 yards. He's a big play waiting to happen. I like stashing him at the end of my bench. He should at best be the number three wide receiver for the Chargers this year. But with Herbert's big arm, the fact that Mike Williams is a free agent going into next season, if Jalen Guyton can put a few plays on tape this season and see the field consistently, he may be evolving into the next big threat for one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. And the Monday night football game, Jags and Saints. Saints hold on and win that one by a score of 23-21. to Marquez Callaway to the moon. He has completely won me over. I was stashing him everywhere I could, but wasn't really sold on his talent until I saw what he did last night. Five catches, 104 yards, two touchdowns, and by far the favorite target of Jameis Winston, who last night solidified himself, although it has not yet been made official, as the QB won for the New Orleans Saints. Jameis goes 9 of 10, 123 yards, and two touchdowns, both to the aforementioned Marquez Callaway. Should be the week one starter as Taysom Hill, with an extended amount of play, looks like he's going back to just what he was, a gimmick couple other stashes that I'm looking at in this New Orleans offense. Tony Jones actually gets the start over Latavius Murray in week two of the preseason. He goes five carries for 24 yards, one catch for four, and looks like the best running back to own in New Orleans outside of Alvin Kamara. Adam Troutman. Of course, he got injured during the game, and it has to be panic time for those Troutman stashers, myself included, as even before the injury, he was coming off the field on third downs. I've heard of early down running backs, but I have not heard in my life of early down tight ends. And if that's the way they're going to play it, where they bring in the converted wide receiver in Juwan Johnson on third downs to play that old Jared Cook role on those obvious passing situations, then Troutman's fantasy relevance was never going to get off the ground. Now, he's still young, so obviously I'm not doing anything rash right now with Adam Troutman. Hold on to the young tight end, but his status for this season is breaking out into that tight end one like we all thought he might be. Absolutely in jeopardy. Stand by for news on the injury. On the other side of the ball for Jacksonville, boy, that team looks bad. They do have some good players. Of course, Trevor Lawrence, he goes 14 of 23 for 113 yards. He showed all the arm talent. He showed the poise in the pocket. He showed why he was the number one pick. But he also showed that this offense is going to severely limit him. It's one of the slowest offenses in the league. Even Chenault did not look great in the extended action against New Orleans. Trevor Lawrence looks like he's going to be the week one starter, but it may not get off the ground as soon as we would have hoped. And this injury news won't help. Travis Etienne possibly and most likely done for the season after suffering a foot injury in the game on Monday night against the New Orleans Saints. So stock up James Robinson and it grit your teeth and stash Carlos Hyde. All right, news in the books. We recapped all of the week two preseason. Now let's roll into our injury roundup. As mentioned, Adam Troutman carted off during Monday Night Football. We'll wait to see what the impact is going to be there. Did not look good from what we saw in live action. Daryl Henderson had a thumb injury. He left and did not return to practice a few days ago, considered day-to-day at the moment. Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly all returned to practice this week for Indianapolis. Carson Wentz currently aiming at a week one return. Stephon Diggs is back at practice. Rashad Bateman 
with a core injury, has been cleared to run routes, so good sign making progress. Still not expecting him back, though, for the farts <laughs> the start of the season. Clyde Edwards-Alaire dealing with an ankle injury suffered during this weekend's preseason contest. It's not believed to be serious, but definitely something to monitor as we get closer to the start of the season. Jalen Hurts returns to practice. Of course, he missed the Week 2 preseason contest because of a stomach illness. He's back in practicing for the Eagles. Will Fuller with his lower body injury, nice and vague, is expected to be ready by the time he's due back in Week 2. Someone not expected back for Week 1, Nikhil Harry. He had his shoulder injury suffered against the Eagles in the preseason contest. He's expected to miss about four weeks. Nico Collins had a pull muscle. He's not expected to miss much time. Someone we're hoping to get early snaps in a wide-open Houston offense. All right, and rapid fire of guys all expected to be back. A.J. Brown with a knee. DeAndre Swift with a groin, Trey Sermon with an ankle, Cortland Sutton with a knee, Curtis Samuel with a groin, and Dwayne Eskridge did not play in preseason week two, but all expected back by week one. All right, and with that being said, we are now finally able to bring in the main host, although he's really slacking today. Don't worry, I am here to pick up your slack, just like always on this show. Welcome in to my boy, Brett Pelishotti. What up, my dude? Someone's got to do it, man. I mean, hey, it's your cross to bear today. NFL Top 100, full swing. Are you watching this year? I wish I could say no, but I have been paying attention to it slightly. you got to pay attention yeah, to it. Yeah, it's just it's the worst, though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it really is. And I try to, like, I try not to disregard it because it is NFL players and coaches that are voting on this. But some of the names that make the Top 100 every year, I just, this year I got, like number 100 was James Robinson. And I understand this is talking about real NFL. This is not talking about fantasy where everyone's like a seller. James James Robinson had a great year. I think it was around either 96 Cole Beasley or 94 Jarvis Landry that I just completely was out on the list. Like at that point, all right, I'm done. You're going to put 30 year old shell of himself, Jarvis Landry or Cole Beasley on this list. Okay. Yeah. The Cole Beasley thing really got me. That was kind of the beginning of the end. Uh, that and you know, I feel like even Justin Herbert was kind of slighted a little bit. It's like, where did Herbert end up going? Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but it seemed like the guy had one. Like you could have made a legitimate argument that he had the best rookie quarterback season we've seen in you know quite a long time, and he gets sure. you know, set up there at the high. I think it was in like the eighties or seventies or something. I don't know. Herbert, it just doesn't... Went, Herbert was number 56. 56? Okay. So he was a little bit better than I originally thought. But still, it's like the quarterback position, the most valuable position. And like maybe yeah. they're not doing it that way. But like let, let's show the kids some respect. You know what I mean? I, I saw a tweet the other day. I think it was Ryan Clark, or her, uh, one of those ESPN analysts. But they said Love something him. like, yeah, great guy. Uh, they said something like, which teams in the NFL's best player is their quarterback? And that made me think like, if you start thinking about it, it really is like the best teams in the league, their best player is their quarterback. And like that means something. You know what I mean? Like you think about the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, by far their best player. He's the only reason they're relevant. Like without Russell Wilson, they would be nothing. I mean, their offensive line's been so sure. bad. Their defense has been terrible recently. You start talking about all these other teams, it's like like the Broncos. I talked about their roster a million times this offseason, how great it is. Without a quarterback, they're they're just gonna be a wild card, like maybe First or second weekend of the playoffs, they're gone. You know, man, no one would be surprised. Yeah. What well, so might I, be, right? That yeah. what if question, the focus of today's show, we're going to be asking ourselves in continuation with our Marvel fanboy themes. 
and the new uh, Marvel series that came out just a few weeks ago, What If, where they look at the Marvel Universe and what if this one thing would have went a little bit differently and then they follow out the ripple effect that that has on the rest of the universe. We're going to be talking about some What If scenarios that could shake the entire foundation of the NFL as we know it. Something that we could be looking back on six months from now and say, wow, why didn't we see this coming? And uh, do you want to get us started or do you want me to shoot the first shot? I'll get it started. I mean, honestly, where in the fantasy landscape do you not only get, you know, analysis about what's going on now, what we think is going to happen, but also the, hey, just in case, let's talk sure. about this. You know, what if this happens, right? I think this is actually kind of valuable, these thought experiments. But uh, my first example of what if being a major game changer in fantasy is what if Trevor Lawrence is bad? What if Trevor oh, Lawrence is not a come good on. quarterback? I thought we were using arguments that could actually happen. This is out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah, because Ryan Leaf you know, never happened, right? Ryan, okay. We're comparing Trevor Lawrence to Ryan Leaf? I can't do it. I mean, how can you? He was he was considered a, a lock, you know, first pick, no, no doubter. So, you know my thoughts on this. I declared two guys in this rookie class bust-proof, Trevor Lawrence and Kyle Pitts. I don't see how it happens, but that's not the game. The game no. is, what if it does happen? What if Trevor Lawrence is a bust? And I'm going to tell you right now, if Trevor Lawrence has a bad season, even if Trevor Lawrence has a couple bad seasons, it's not going to be on him. It's going to be on his outdated head coach, Urban Meyer, trying to implement his college ways at the pro level like so many other head coaches in the past have tried to do and failed. And that is really the only situation where I see Trevor Lawrence failing. I don't see a situation where it's on him. I see the Jaguars failing to bring in talent around him. I see Urban Meyer failing to adapt to the modern NFL. But I don't see Trevor Lawrence ever just not meeting expectations because of anything Trevor Lawrence does or doesn't do. Yeah, you could be right. And I think that's more of the how. But what I really want to hear from you is what what happens to the assets that we see in Jacksonville that are getting a lot of hype right now, like the LaVisca Chanel, Marvin Jones, although, you know, Marvin Jones will probably be on his way out by the time Trevor Lawrence really hits a stride, and then Travis Etienne. Um, <clears throat> what happens to those guys if Trevor Lawrence is just average or not good at all? Say, say Trevor Lawrence ends up being, um, let's say, a Sam Darnold-type prospect, where there's always hope, there's always hope, but... You know, he has some flash plays here and there, but he can never really facilitate a ton of fantasy assets. You know, what what do we do with these guys? It's Jacksonville is such a unique spot with their weapons because everyone knows Marvin Jones is probably the safest bet in redraft for that receiver room, depending on how you feel about LaVisca Chenault. But obviously, he's, he's not long for the NFL. It's funny what's happening with DJ Chark, where the whole community, whether it's redraft, whether it's dynasty, everyone seems to be out on the guy. And I don't know where it came from, because a year ago, we were really, I think, just as a whole, valuing him so much higher than we're looking at him right now. Everyone's given up on DJ Chark. Here's a what if for you. What if DJ Chark is actually good? What, what if he is the alpha in that offense and everyone is just discounting, saying, no, there's no way it's Marvin Jones or it's Vishka. There's no way it's DJ Chart. What if it is? Hey, I mean, if it is, that would totally shock me and it would completely destroy some of my projections. But I think if Trevor Lawrence is, is just average, it would be a massive disappointment and it would affect teams for years to come. Because you look at, you know, if you have the first pick 
in a rookie draft this offseason. In Superflex, you're taking Trevor Lawrence. It's almost a no-doubter. I mean, don't ask me. I would take Trey Lance. But most people would take a Trevor Lawrence. So if you're taking him 101, and say you got that 101 by earning it, right, being the worst team in the league, you didn't trade for the 101. That sets you back at least two years because you're not drafting. The chances are you're not drafting another quarterback in the first round the, the next year and because you're still relying on Trevor Lawrence hitting. But if he doesn't hit and you're just sitting there waiting for that, you know, waiting to cash that check and that check never comes, then you're really putting yourself behind. And no matter what you build around that, it, it your team is destined to fail because you don't have a cornerstone quarterback that you plan, were planning to have in Trevor Lawrence. And if you're a big uh, LaVisca Chenault fan like I am and you're you're actively drafting him above ADP to make sure that you get him, it's just a burnt pick because as good as he is, I don't know if he'll ever be a, you know, a wide receiver one if he doesn't have the quarterback to facilitate that. So I think that would have massive implications, not to mention the real football talk like Urban Meyer's tenure being cut short for sure because he's acting as the GM and head coach right now. I know they hired a GM, but let's be real, Urban Meyer's making all those decisions down there in Jacksonville. So mm-hmm. it would have massive very NFL Gruden. implications. Yeah, very Gruden-like. Gruden-esque, very much so. All right, mm-hmm. I'm going to stick with the quarterback theme with mine. I'm going to do – I got a twofer for you here. All right, and most of this comes from the preseason and letting my mind wander into the overreaction that everyone loves to do when they're watching backups play other backups. But what if Drew Locke – and Sam Darnold are actually good and not good to say that they're top six quarterbacks or that they're they'll ever even necessarily live up to their draft capital but what if they're just good enough in the situations that they're in with all the talent surrounding them that they are league average quarterbacks this 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 gave me like a flashback to Endgame where it's like you know, Doctor Strange, and tells Tony that there's only one way that this can go. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the one percent chance that that this happens. Sam, Darnold how many universes did we play out Drew Locke and <laughs> Sam Darnold as starting quarterbacks? Hey, what was that? Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? Fourteen million six hundred five. How many did we win? One. How many were they good? Just one. Just one. (laughs) (laughs) But could you, the the ramifications that that would have on all these weapons, we're talking about probably, what, four guys in Denver between Sutton, Judy, Hamler, and Fant, not to mention the running backs, and... Then in Carolina, obviously Christian McCaffrey is going to be great no matter who's under center, but you have Terrace Marshall and DJ Moore. What if he lives up to the expectations that we had of him two years ago where he could be an elite wide receiver? If Sam Darnold is a 30-35 touchdown quarterback over a course of 17 games, who's to say half a dozen to a dozen of those couldn't go to DJ Moore? And now suddenly he's in that WR1 conversation. That would be massive. And if you think about the team building ramifications that would have. I mean, they have Sam Darnold at a discount. Having a starting quarterback at a discount is huge. You know, they could invest a lot of their capital and their assets into building the team around Sam Darnold and those weapons that are that are still fairly cheap while maintaining a low uh, cap hit from the quarterback position because even though if, even if Sam Darnold 
shows out this year and he's like a mid-tier quarterback, he still won't be able to demand, you know, top of the line quarterback money because we have a history of him looking as bad as, as he has, you know, seeing ghosts on national television. That, that stuff sticks with you, your reputation, and he won't get that big quarterback money probably ever um, unless he signs two more contracts and this, this scenario does really plan out. So you got to think if he hits, you got the immediate bump for the weapons, and then you have the bump for everybody else in that offense that's going to come in later because the team's going to have assets to invest in the offensive line. And that also means that the head coach and the offense coordinator are working out so that, this is just this would be massive for Carolina, and then Denver. We've already talked about how much those weapons need a quarterback. So if Drew Locke were to be that guy, you know, especially him already knowing the system and being installed there, you know, we wouldn't have to wait the year that we're already planning to wait. That would take uh, all the weapons in Denver and make them values in your draft today. All right, I got a two-part question for you to follow this one up. Of these two, Drew Locke and Sam Darnold, which one is more likely to actually be good? And then which of the two has the higher ceiling if they are good? Sam Darnold has a higher ceiling to – what am I trying to say? He has the most likely chance to be good, Sam Darnold. And I think he also has the higher ceiling, and the guys around okay. him will benefit more. Um, I don't think Drew Locke has the tools, like in terms of the – Accuracy. The physical tools, the, yeah, not, the, physical not the tools, tools as far as the weapons surrounding him, but the totally. physical tools it takes to be a quarterback. Yeah, and we talk about it all the time. The upside with quarterbacks is built, you know, like what if you were to build your, your perfect quarterback, what would you build? You know, he would have accuracy. He'd have poise. He'd have a cannon of an arm. Sam Darnold can tick a lot of those boxes that Drew Locke can't. So I think it, overall he has the higher ceiling, and I also like the coaching staff more. Um, I like the weapons more in Denver, probably, but it's pretty close um, on both sides. So, yeah, I, I'd give the edge to Sam Darnold. My second one, this one is more of a – it's more likely, I think, than the ones we've talked about thus far. Uh, but it's something I've been, you know, railing against. So I, I'm sure you'd have a ton to say on this one. What if Travis Kelsey does hit his cliff this year and drops <laughs> off? What does that do to Dynasty Leaguers – you know, th there's a huge debate right now. It's like, do you take Travis Kelsey or do you take Kyle Pitts? And I'm still huge in the, I'm still a Travis Kelsey guy. But obviously, if he were to hit his cliff this year, I'd be wrong. So what what would this mean for, for the Dynasty community? Hey, that cliff's coming. Whether it's 2021, whether it's 2000, what, 23, 24. I, I can't imagine how much longer it has, but the interesting thing that's going to happen here is Patrick Mahomes is way too talented a quarterback to only have one fantasy reliable weapon. If Travis Kelsey did fall off, someone else is going to step into that number two role, whether that's Mecole Hardman or Demarcus Robinson. Maybe we see Clyde Edwards Hilaire get way more involved in the passing game. Maybe it's uh, uh, Noah Gray, the day three, early day three pick that just might be Travis Kelsey's heir apparent, but the decline is going to be very noticeable as soon as it happens. We've gotten so spoiled by Travis Kelsey being the tight end one. I think it's four of the last five years that it's just baked into however you acquired him, whether it's via trade or in a startup, that he's going to continue to do that for the foreseeable future. But when that time does eventually happen, as we alluded to a few months ago when we were doing our tight end ranking show, 
that cliff happens to everyone, whether it's Travis Kelsey or Shannon Sharp or any of these other guys that we talked about, Antonio Gates, uh, any of these top quarterbacks, they all reached that cliff at a certain point, and it just wasn't the same. And granted, yes, these are happening for the most part 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and so the NFL has changed a lot since then. But once you reach that age as a tight end, one of the most physically demanding positions on the field, and your body doesn't have it anymore, it's a sharp cliff. We, we yeah. compare it uh, in wide receivers all the time where we talk about the skills that will translate into your 30s as opposed to the wide receivers who win off size and athleticism. When that athleticism starts to go, it's, it's a sharp dive, okay? Not like these uh, perfect route runners who can sort of elongate their career just by out-techniquing the guys in front of them. And tight ends fall more into the former category that once that athleticism goes, it's going to be really tough to keep up the sort of fantasy success that they've had over the last few years. But like I said, Mahomes way too talented to narrow it all down to just one guy. So I, I think that one of these other weapons has to step up in order for it to happen to Kelsey. And I think Hardman's probably the favorite. Uh, it could be his backup in gray. It could be Demarcus Robinson. It could, it, I mean, these are dark shots, but it could be Byron Pringle or CEH. Someone else has to take those targets because it's not going to be Travis Kelsey falls off and at the same time Patrick Mahomes becomes a 3,500-yard-a-year passer. That's not going to happen. Someone's yeah. going to get those yards, so it takes someone else stepping up for that to happen. I think it would create a, a vacuum, like you're saying, a vacuum of, of value but I think it would be a collaborative effort to try to fill that this year. And then this offseason, the Chiefs and Andy Reid, like always, will prioritize getting weapons. So I think it would be very confusing and hard to nail down one guy. And you'd end up, it'd probably be a futile process. Like you're just wasting your time and effort and resources trying to find that next guy up in, in um, Kansas City. But then you know, it ends up just never really becoming a thing. It's just a, a wide receiver two by committee over there in Kansas City. And then, you know, the, whoever they draft in this upcoming year's draft would be where their value is to be found. And that's going that's only going to be in, in rookie drafts, I think. But So so I, let me float this to you. The, okay, the yeah. rookie class is coming in where I know I'm not very high on. We haven't talked about it a ton on the show, but the 2023 class is going to be nothing compared to how we've been spoiled the last few years. There is, however, if they do look to address the more or less weapon two in Kansas City, if Travis Kelsey starts to fall off, there's two elite wide receivers playing on the franchise tag right now, and Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin that I think either one would fit perfectly in. And then there's a couple big names that in this last year in free agency signed just quick one-year deals in Will Fuller and Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju, a guy that Kansas City was in on, and it took Ben oh, Roethlisberger yeah. talking Juju out of it to get him to come back to Pittsburgh on the one-year deal. If any one of those four guys ends up in Kansas City and becomes the replacement weapon two for Patrick Mahomes. I think every single one of them has top probably for Godwin and Robinson. We're talking about the wide receiver one potential upside if they get to play with Patrick Mahomes. For the last two guys, Juju and Will Fuller, I think they're talking top twelve receiver as their upside. Yeah, and I, and I don't think that's very far fetched uh, because you know Kansas City has a luxury of building for the future and also buying in to compete every year because as long as you have Patrick Mahomes under center you have a chance mm -hmm. so they can always you know as long as they can keep kicking the can down the road cap wise like the Rams have and uh, teams like the Saints and Eagles have tried to do as long as they can keep doing that I mean they can they can sign those free agent guys hopefully try to get them on manageable deals at, while also drafting uh, weapons in the middle rounds like they have and you know 
how many times have we seen middle round receivers pop? You know, it happens a lot. And uh, I put my money on Patrick Mahomes accelerating the uh, development of some of those middle round guys over almost any other quarterback. But I think that's enough time on the Patrick Mahomes what if. What do you got for me on this next one? So speaking of weapons, and I'll keep it at the tight end position, there's a tight end who finished as a top three tight end in fantasy last season. His name is Robert Tunyon. He's being drafted right now as the tight end 11. 11. Mm. The entire dynasty community is baking in. Oh, oh yeah, it was it was a fluke season. He, he caught way too many touchdowns. He's never going to repeat that efficiency. He doesn't really have to to return value on where he's going right now. He's still only 27 years old, and I think the dynasty community and even the redraft community for that matter is sort of sleeping on this guy. He, he doesn't have to be the same tight end who went out there, caught double-digit touch, digit touchdowns, had the highest catch rate in the league. All he has to do is give you 80, 90% of that, and he beats ADP. Who's to say that he's not going to have a better season than Dallas Goddard, who's still fighting with Zach Ertz, or Noah Fant, who may or may not have a quarterback? What I don't see any reason that he can't go in there and be a top six or seven tight end. So what what is your what if then? Is it that you know what if he what if he's actually closer? good? What, what, what if, if last good? year? Okay. What if last year for Robert Tunyon, who had to fight his way through a very crowded tight end room? That's the reason it took him so long to break out. Uh, Green Bay spent day two picks, I think, two out of the last four years on tight ends. You have veteran blocker Mercedes Lewis clogging up the field. It took Tunyon a while just to get consistent playing time. In the first year that it happens, 2020, scorch earth. Everyone is always pounding the narrative who's the number two option for Aaron Rodgers it's that's been a narrative since Jordy and Cobb left all those years ago what if it just is Robert Tunyon what if he is that good number two option the same way we see Travis Kelsey being the 1b to Tyree Kills 1a for Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City what if Tunyon is just actually good yeah and I, I don't once again I don't think this is that far-fetched I think what is what is making people afraid to to reference this possibility is the fact that he was extremely efficient. And we don't see that typically carry over year to year. This isn't a thing that you can rely on. Uh, but that's why we say what if, because it's definitely a possibility. It's not something that's so outlandish that, um, you know, you would never be willing to say it on the mic. It, there's definitely a chance. And I think he is very talented. I mean, a small school guy that has to come in and really fight to earn playing time. And then when he gets that playing time, thrives and produces the way he did produce this past year, extremely impressive. And he might just be scratching the surface of what he can be as a player. Uh, and, of course, the efficiency could come down. But, I mean, who's to say he doesn't finish as a top six tight end? I don't think that's so outlandish. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised if he finished over guys like Dallas Goddard, Mike Gusecki, Kyle Pitts, uh, guys that are going slightly ahead of him or way ahead of him. Um, but guys that I think he could definitely finish – higher than at least in 2021 you have to hope that there isn't a drop in uh, there isn't a huge drop off from Rodgers which I don't think anybody's really expecting and the drop off that he sees in efficiency isn't as drastic as some are making it out to be or at least his ADP makes it seem at ADP uh, tight end 11 so well, let me let me address the Rodgers stuff since you brought that out if Aaron Rodgers is gone next year the Green Bay Packers currently have one weapon at wide receiver under contract for 2022, and it's the rookie that they dressed, drafted in Amari Rodgers. Obviously, Rogers. totally different role from Robert Tunyon. But Devontae Adams could be gone. 
Alan Lazard, MVS, Randall Cobb, all these guys could be gone, or at least most of them, meaning Jordan Love's got to throw the football to someone. And Amari Rodgers, as much as you and I like him, neither of us profile him as an alpha who's going to dominate targets the way Devontae Adams did. So if Robert Tunyon is still in Green Bay next year, maybe he becomes that target. Maybe he becomes the one option for Jordan Love. I mean, we'll see what they do in the free agency and in the draft, how many of these guys actually come back. But as we sit here and look at it in 2021, there could be targets aplenty. Okay. And it could be Robert Tunyon as the main beneficiary. Yeah, I mean, uh, how many red zone, end zone targets become available if Devontae Adams right. isn't wearing green and yellow uh, this time next year? That that would just be, you know, a massive hole that someone would have to fill. But, you know, you being the resident Packer fan, what would you say the chances that he reclaims, you know, 80%, 90% of what we saw from him last year? So this year the receiving room is going to be very crowded. They brought in – Randall Cobb for a reason. I am expecting a big jump from Marquez Valdez-Scantling this year. I think he's going to end up being the number two oh, wide receiver. He's the next Christian Kirk. <laughs> I, he, who knows? I, I don't think anyone's really too high on Marquez Valdez-Scantling right now. I think he's very attainable. But he's mm-hmm. got the potential to take that next step as the other uh, boundary wide receiver outside Adams. Cobb is going to get most of his looks out of the slot with Amari uh, Rogers spelling him. So it's it's going to be a very crowded receiver room albeit not necessarily as top heavy as people may like but it's going to be very similar to last year I think there's going to be an odd man out in the receiver game but I think Tunyon's role is very safe none of the other tight ends that they've drafted really do everything that he does uh, Josiah DeGuara is more of an H-back right now, still sort of feeling his way into the offense. And the aforementioned Mercedes Lewis, he's a blocker specialer. He might get a goal line target or two over the course of the season. Jay Sternberger can't kid himself on the field. He's in some uh, legal trouble right now uh, from the offseason. I think he suspended a game or two to start the season. So no one in the tight end room is really that receiving threat that Robert Tunyon's going to do. The guys that are going to take him off the field are going to come in and block, and that does nothing for fantasy anyway. So I think his role yeah, is relatively safe. I think uh, I, I think you can. I think you've been comfortable with Robert Tanya. I don't think you can, you know, claim to have a top six guy, but I don't think you're crazy to think that you know there's a good chance he finishes there. I, I'm kind of, you know, wishy washy on him from week to week, but when you put out scenarios like this and you really break it down, I, I don't see why. He is going as late as he's going. I would take him over some other guys that we mentioned. Like, like I'm a little nervous about Dallas Goddard. I think I would probably take Tanya over him at this point. My next one is another quarterback question, but this one I think is the most would be the most drastic of the ones we've talked about so far. What if Josh Allen's 2020 was a one-off? What if it was a fluke? Yes. What if he is more likely his 2019 version, uh, which was. You know, still solid for fantasy, but the effects it would have on weapons in in Buffalo and uh, the overall team building life cycle that Buffalo is in right now, and that huge contract that you signed. I mean, this would have massive ramifications, right? The the main guys that you'd be worried about, obviously, Stephon Diggs. The good news is they did nothing this offseason to make you think Stephon Diggs' target share is in any sort of trouble. So even if Josh Allen does return down back down to earth, which I think you and I are predicting to a certain degree, I think we're both expecting a step back, maybe not all the way to 2019 form, but I think we both expect a step back from Allen. I think Diggs is still safe. and I, I, He 
he was a wide receiver, low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two, all those years in Minnesota, competing with Adam Thielen for a quarterback who was not nearly as aggressive as Josh Allen, for better or for worse, in Kirk Cousins. So I think his target share is still safe. I don't think, in spite of making the NFL's top 100 list, I don't think Cole Beasley is much of a threat to Stephon Diggs. I I think he's perfectly fine. Anyone else, I I think you'd have to put the Gabriel Davis breakout on pause, which Mm. RIP to my Gabriel (laughs) Davis hopes. But we're really not drafting any other weapons on that team. So as far as fantasy goes, Stephon Diggs probably takes a little hit. I'm baking that in already with my assessment of Allen and with Diggs. As far as any of the other weapons, yeah, like I said, I'm stashing Gabriel Davis late, but if that breakout never happens, I'm not going to be heartbroken or the least bit surprised. Yeah, so I looked at Michael Clay's uh, Michael Clay's quarterback projections. He has Josh Allen finishing as the quarterback one with 375 fantasy points. And the way it breaks down is essentially 4,500-plus yards, 32 passing touchdowns, 527 rush yards, seven rushing touchdowns. I think the rushing numbers you can almost take to the bank. Like, I don't think he's giving up anything, whether he takes a step back uh, as a passer or not next year. He's still going to use his legs a lot. And, you know, even if he does take a step down as a passer, I think he'd use his legs even more. Where I'm concerned with is the 32 passing touchdowns. I don't know if you can bank on that from year to year. And if it was a one off last year, I think that number is closer closer to 20 than it is to 30. I mean, I think you'd be looking at the low 20s um, with quite a few more interceptions than he had last year. So that, that's where my concerns are. And if he does come down in touchdowns, then Stephon Diggs does take a hit. But uh, and, and the numbers 4,500 pass yards would be that, – that's a lot for, for a guy like Josh Allen. And the numbers really back that up. He talking about projecting him for 32 touchdowns. He's coming off a 37 touchdown season, but coming into the season, his first two years, he had only 30 touchdowns in his career. And so I think everyone is sort of taking that narrative and running with it. That this just is Josh Allen. It just took him two years and then a, a switch flicked and all right. Yeah. He's actually great. He's the top 10 pick that he was drafted to be. I, I, I don't think I would say it's a better than 50% chance that he is closer to 2018-19 than he is to 2020. I, I think I th- it is. But also another thing that worries me, I'm, we're purely talking about fantasy here. He hit all those statistical highs in the passing game. He hit statistical lows in just about everything with the run game. His attempts per game were down. His total yardage was down almost 200 yards from his rookie season. His yards per attempt. His uh, The only thing that stayed the same was the touchdowns. And touchdowns are the most volatile stat of any position, of any statistic. Everyone, or if you, if you didn't know by now, now you know. All right, st- touchdowns are not always sticky. A year is going to happen where he doesn't score you eight touchdowns on the ground. And when that happens, that fall, it may not be from QB3 to QB30, but it might be that lower end QB one, maybe in the, in the low teens type quarterback, if he can only get you three or four touchdowns on the ground and another couple, uh, 25, 30 through the air. It it would end up being a massive uh, disappointment ADP wise. I mean, where you're going to have to draft him if he, if he comes out and rushes as much as he did last year, but takes a huge dip in the passing yards and touchdowns, that's a massive disappointment. And I think when you see guys like Josh Allen have these big outlier, Seasons in terms of like you know quarterbacks that start their season start their careers like that usually don't take massive jumps. I mean it's the biggest jump we've ever seen from a quarterback. Right. When people sure. see these outlier seasons, 
they like to just take it to the bank from here. Oh, he's an outlier. That's just the way that it is. It's like, no, maybe that season itself was an outlier. Maybe we can't be so positive that the guy that sucked in 2019 and was great in 2020 is just officially great, and there's nothing that's going to take him away from that. I mean, maybe I'm just poo-pooing Josh Allen, but I think being as high on him as people are is okay as long as you accept the risk. You know I mean, go into it knowing that there's a chance he's more like he was in 2019. If you go from a micro a micro view of just looking at last season to a macro role of looking at a season as a whole, it's very similar to how we see whenever we watch fantasy players finish the season strong. We talk about their last four weeks, they were the RB3, or their last six weeks, they were the wide receiver four. And we always disregard it when it happens in the opposite order. If someone has a great start to the season and they finish poorly, it's a much more negative taste in your mouth going into the following season. What if Josh Allen's rookie season was this last year where he breaks out and then he has the two shit seasons that we saw from him out of his first year career? What is the perception of Josh Allen then? I think He's it's Carson completely Wentz. different. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. He's Carson Wentz. Great example. Yeah. I, I think that's spot on. Yeah, I mean that that's I mean that's exactly what it would be because you had a an MVP level quarterback go from that where everybody was chomping at the bit to get him on our team to the way people look at Carson Wentz now as a huge question mark in a new spot. I mean, yeah, it's just uh let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's be a little concerned, okay? Let's stick in the quarterback room. I'm going to take a guy, since we sat here for the last 15 minutes and shit all over Josh Allen, I'm going to take a guy I know you and I are both high on, and that's Tua Tungavailoa. And I'm going to ask you, what if this season proves that Tua actually is the guy that the Dolphins were putting their season in the tank for two years ago? Now, let me take you back. Two years is a long time, but let's think about where our heads were as dynasty owners back in 2019. When going into the season, Tua Tungavailoa, the best quarterback in college football, other than maybe Trevor Lawrence, who is a a year, I think, younger than him. Mm -hmm. The Dolphins have a a bad team. Okay, They go into the quote-unquote fish tank to completely throw off their season, get themselves Tua Tungavailoa. Tua has the hip injury, doesn't get to play college football. I think he played, like, what, five weeks that season, and then the hip injury happens, and he's out. All right? The Dolphins win enough games to get out of the number one, but Tua sitting there waiting for him because of the injury he had. Then Tua, who hasn't played football in nearly a year, joins the Miami Dolphins, comes into the camp of the Dolphins, and a worldwide pandemic hits. Suddenly, training camp is completely (laughs) wiped out and preseason is not happening. They're learning the entire offense through Zoom. The season happens, and all his receivers are either hurt or terrible. His offensive line is one of the worst 5-10 to in the league. Why did we expect Tua to be good last year? Why would anyone think that Tua was going to have a solid rookie season with all these things stacked up against him? I think it's far more likely that he is the version of him that we saw in Alabama, and the circumstances were just out of proportion against him for 2020. And a lot of people are already making up their minds that the guy we saw last year coming off the year-long surgery, dealing with the loss of training camp in his rookie season, that he is this meh quarterback. When I think it's much more likely that he does possess the upside that convinced an NFL organization to throw their season in the gutter to obtain. I don't don't disagree with anything you said. I mean, 
Tua looked at the beginning of Sam Darnold's career and was like, hold my <laughs> beer. <laughs> He's like, you know what? Adam Gase doesn't have shit <laughs> on what Tua went through the last 24 months. Yeah, absolutely. I take that and, back. That's, that may not be true. <laughs> and it is totally under-talked about. It's under-reported how difficult it would be for any quarterback to succeed with those circumstances. I think what you got to look at um, in terms of like the other side of this is, although all those things were out of his control and it's just the cards he was dealt, did those cards break him? Like, did it shatter his confidence? Did it derail his potential development? Because that's possible. You know, no matter what happens to you, whether it's in your control or not, it's going to have some sort of psychological effect. And I think it's I think it's a no brainer that the talent is there. I know some people think he's just not good. I disagree wholeheartedly. I think the talent is definitely there. It's about can he really utilize that talent? Can he maximize his talent in this situation after what happened? the past 18 months. I still believe he can. And that's why I'm investing. I mean, I traded for him in our league. You know, I, I didn't give up a, a small bit to get to a tongue of I love. So I think I like to get these guys when they're at, you know, their, their potential low value. value. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's natural. Everybody tries to do it. And I think that Tua, his value is only, you know, it's about as low as it's going to get, especially after the hype coming into the draft last year. And, you know, you also have to think about his play style. I mean, we looked at him as a potential Drew Brees-style quarterback where right. he's a timing-based pocket manager, but Lots he's way more mobile. Yeah, but he's way more mobile than Drew Brees was. So you also had some rushing upside. So you have to look at the lack of weapons, the lack of actual physical mobility coming off of massive hip surgery. I mean, all those things combined for his play style to be affected drastically. And... Now, this year, I don't think he has much of an excuse. If he doesn't pan out this year, it might be over for Tua. But I'm buying into the fact that it's going to happen. Mark our words. Tua Tungavailoa is GameStop January 2021. Buy now. <laughs> Reap the benefits yeah, right. later. All right, I got to talk about the more uh, polarizing player here in Deshaun Watson. So there's two different what-ifs that we have to talk about. And I think it's at this point people have ignored it enough. We think, you know, you're at the point now where you have to make your decisions on what you're going to do with Deshaun Watson in 2021. So, what if Deshaun Watson sits out all year? What are we doing with Deshaun Watson? Let's say we find out tomorrow Deshaun Watson is on the commissioner's exempt list. Um, the Texans are adamant they will not trade him until all the investigations are over. And we're looking at like a 13-month timeline. What, what's your what's your plan? What, what's your go-to here with Deshaun Watson? I'm going to float out the way I'm attacking this in each different format of Dynasty. In single quarterback and then in super flex. In single quarterback, I still am taking a shot on Deshaun Watson. Because even though it's Dynasty and most of your quarterbacks in the league are going to be rostered, single quarterbacks are still much more attainable in single quarterback leagues than they are in Superflex or 2QB. Even if Deshaun Watson doesn't play this season or, worst case scenario, ever again, I could still get a quarterback somewhere. Someone is willing to sell me Tom Brady. Someone is willing to send me sell me Ben Roethlisberger. I can do something with my quarterback position, even if he doesn't pan out. If the best case scenario comes true and he does play again sometime, hopefully relatively soon, then I've just stole a top five quarterback. 
So the upside is still there, and that's the way you need to attack it in single quarterback. In 2QB or super flex leagues, no way am I making that bet unless I have a roster two or three other established quarterbacks who can combine to share the load for me if Deshaun Watson never plays again. I, no way I'm trading for Deshaun Watson. No way I'm acquiring him in any form if he has to be my QB2 or QB1 in Dynasty Superflex. Yeah, that, that's a good way to go about it. I mean, if you're in a startup and you want Deshaun Watson, you want that upside, you better hope you can get a guy like Baker Mayfield or Kirk Cousins, someone to float you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not doing it. Quarterback I'm not doing it until I have at least one other quarterback, and then it's going to make me much more aggressive as you start to get into the double-digit rounds of making sure I get one of those guys that nobody wants as their starting quarterback, like the Sam Darnolds or the Drew Locks. Yeah. I'm taking those guys around a full round or two earlier if I am depending on Deshaun Watson to be my QB two. Yeah, it kind of robs you of the the opportunity to take some of the older prospects that kind of slide in dynasty startups that can lead to a more complete win-now roster. I mean, you look at guys like Marvin Jones that slide heavily in Dynasty startups, guys that it would it'd be great to to pick up this year and if you're a win-now team. But if you draft Deshaun Watson, you really need to prioritize finding a second quarterback that has an established starting position so that you're not left with no starting second quarterback to throw in your super flex spot. So... Mm-hmm. That, that's all good and dandy, but what if Deshaun Watson gets traded and we find out, let's say he's got a six-week suspension? Because I think that's probably the most likely scenario if he does get traded. The NFL is going to have to come out and lay out some parameters in terms of when he can play again. Because I don't it's, think a team will trade for him unless they know this. No, it's and it's such a mess. It's crazy that we've been going through this since February or March when the allegation news first came out and we're literally in the exact same place that we were in seven months ago no, there's been zero movement we've got more details but the NFL is always just currently under investigation no comment just we have no idea what's going to happen no. if you're debating Deshaun Watson in any facet analyze both ends of the spectrum make sure that you have a roster that could sustain a hit of the possibility whether it's the possibility or not that he'd never play his football again. Yeah. If you're looking, like, if you think that, you know, maybe you can get him at value and you're convinced he's going to end up playing this year, I mean, once again, he's going to be suspended for at least a little bit. Like, let's say it's six weeks, right? He's Is suspended. he, though? Like, I think do we, so, yeah. Do we know certainly. that? Because I, I feel like before the legal system makes its decision, like, we, we've, we've seen it the other way around. When Ezekiel Elliott got into his quote-unquote snafu, I'll call it, from a few years ago, the NFL took actions even though the criminal courts did not. I'm not saying that's a poss that's not a possibility. I'm saying if the criminal justice system in America hasn't had enough time to figure out everything, has the NFL? And if not, does it not take another year? It's been seven months of no movement. What's to say it won't take another four or five months before the fantasy season's over before there's anything coming down from the NFL. I think it's entirely possible that he sits in this state of limbo for all of 2021 because he's not playing for the Texans. Texans don't want to play him. He doesn't want to play for them. No one's making a move until something is settled. And so everyone's waiting on that first domino to fall. Yeah, I mean, you could be right. I, th I think they would suspend him right away because I don't think that they would... I don't think a team would trade for him unless they know. So in this scenario, I'm saying that he, he is getting traded. So... 
that team would already have to know this this status in terms of how much time they're gonna they're gonna right, not which have is their what's preventing the whole thing. He he would have been traded six months ago if we had any sort of yeah, knowledge so. or NFL teams had any sort of knowledge into what was going to actually happen. No, yep. I think that's enough speculation on Deshaun Watson. You want to close this out? Give me your last what if scenario. All right, I got two, and I'm going to combine it into one All right. because they both have the same initials. What if Josh Jacobs and Julio Jones Ooh. are the same guys that we've seen them be for the last, in Josh Jacobs' case, three years, and in Julio Jones' case, 13 years? What if they are still the same players? Because no one wants them right now. You could get Josh Jacobs at a, what, RB22 price tag right now? You could get Julio Jones even lower than that. Josh Jacobs was in RB1 last year. Julio Jones finishes in the top 10 just about every single season at wide receiver. But two big things happen this offseason. Julio Jones gets traded and Kenyon Drake gets acquired. And suddenly both of these guys are at massive discounts than they were a calendar year ago or even six months ago. So I guess you could say, sort of draw back to my Rob Tunyon argument. What if these guys are just actually still good? Are these two of the best values in all of fantasy? If Julio Jones comes out and has a, the WR10 season, is anyone surprised? If Josh Jacobs is the RB10, is anyone surprised? Or are we looking back saying, yeah, we probably should have seen that coming? I I would be very surprised about Josh Jacobs. I would not be surprised about Julio Jones. I mean, he's going into one of the most efficient offenses with one guy to compete with for targets. And we know how good Julio Jones is and how good he's been that he can demand targets next to anybody. I mean, you can put Jerry Rice next to Julio Jones, and he's still going to demand targets. So I, I would not be surprised so much about a wide receiver 10 season from Julio, but I would definitely be surprised at Josh Jacobs. And I, you said a few things happened, right? You mentioned Kenyon Drake. I Kenyon Drake thing is definitely concerning to me, but it's more concerning to me that about the offensive line. That is my number one that concern is fair. with Josh Jacobs. And it's been talked about because people – you know, have just destroyed the decisions of the of the Oakland, of the Las Vegas Raiders over the past two, three years. But I think this was the biggest mistake that they've made as a franchise is the lack of foresight and investment in the offensive line. In one offseason, they lost four starters. And they, they weren't just random starters. They were, they were good players. They were vets. They were, I mean, uh, one of them's in Seattle, one of them's in Arizona. Uh, one of them they just pl- blatantly cut, and I can't remember where the fourth one. But either way, it, it didn't seem like there was a plan until they started getting offers, and they, they got like fifth-round picks, fourth-round picks for these guys. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it doesn't look like they're building for the future. It also doesn't look like they're building to win now. They have no direction, and I think Josh Jacobs isn't good enough to overcome such a poor situation this year. So Are you sure would, he's not good enough, though? I I mean, maybe he is. I mean, you could probably, I mean, you could cut up a highlight tape and I'd be like, damn, he looks good. But I don't I mean, know he if he's was a he was the unanimous 101. Some people had Miles Sanders higher, and some complete idiots had Nikhil Harry higher during that <laughs> draft class. But Josh Jacobs was the unanimous 101. Wait, wait are we in. saying so, Nikhil Harry lovers are complete idiots because? Gosh, I loved Nikhil Harry. So did everyone though. Everyone loved Nikhil Harry. <laughs> But, I mean, he, he was the unanimous 101 in, what was it, the 2018 class? Mm-hmm. And and he hasn't disappointed. He's been maybe not the high-end RB1, but he's been somewhere between a low-end RB1 and a 
high-end RB2 for all three seasons of his career. And I, I just haven't seen the discount that he has this year. Maybe it's the offensive line moves. Maybe you're right. And maybe that's enough to scare enough people away. But it's it's not like he wasn't with John Gruden a year ago. It's not like he didn't have a pass-catching running back in the backfield with him a year ago. It's not like he wasn't playing for a bad team a year ago. But year after year, he's overcome it and been a top 15 running back. So I'm just saying it's still in the realm of possibility it happens again and you get one of the biggest steals in your draft. Or maybe you go out and trade for him for dirt cheap. Yeah, it's a it's a possibility for sure. And, and if you if you like him, like if you're thinking differently than I am, then you're you're ecstatic. You're getting him at a discount for sure from where he was, you know, a calendar year ago. I just you know, RB twenty two, there's just too many people going around there. What is that, like round five? There's too many great wide receivers. Uh, there's some solid tight ends, fantastic quarterbacks that you can draft there and single quarterback. Uh, so it's just like the, the opportunity cost, what you're passing up to get a guy like Josh Jacobs on your team, it, it's just too much for me, too much for me to take Josh Jacobs for sure. That'll do it for our what-if section of the show. Fantastic work, dude. I actually, this is a great, this is a great show. I like the the what-if scenarios. It really makes you think and kind of second-guess your, your current opinions about players. You got to see the moves before they ever happen. That's Amen, what brother. keeps you one step ahead. Totally. Are you ready for it? Ready for what? Do you remember? Oh, I remember. Do you remember? You know Remember Brandon Stokely? Brandon Stokely? <laughs> Is that a good one? Did I get a good yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah, that's do you, a good who do you, one. Do, do you remember him with... Uh, the Colts or the Broncos? I remember with the Broncos for sure. I definitely remember him more with the Colts, oh, actually. Jesus. Yeah. He, so How long was he on either one? You know? I'm, I'm looking it up right now. He was with Indy 2003 to 2006, and he was with Denver from 07 to 09. So four years in Indy, then three years in Denver, and then he bounces around a league for yeah. a little while. He actually spent his first four years with Baltimore, and I don't remember that at all. I mean, granted, it was uh, no, I can't 1999 through, like, 2002. He he didn't play a lot. He only played one uh, full season, and he only started a handful of games that year. I'm looking at his uh, career game logs right now. His best season, 04, with Indy, where he caught 100 and, where he had 102 targets, 68 catches, but over 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. He never came close to those numbers again. That was no. literally the only only good season that he had. Yeah, but it's, it's – uh, I don't know why he's so memorable. Like it, I don't I know, maybe it's him the name. running around in a Stokely. uniform. I don't know why, but that's a good call. And white receivers is because I mean, at any given point, that's only like ten percent of the receiving core in the NFL is going to be white. So those names, I guess, stick out a little bit more. That makes sense. Do you if when I say white receiver, who's the first guy you think of? Julian Edelman. Julian Edelman. Yeah, for that's sure. fair. That, that's yeah. got to be up there. I, I think you could probably guess who mine is. Oh, Jordy Nelson. Jordy, of course. Yeah. It's so great. Else, he didn't play like your typical white wide receiver, though. Dude, he's a farmer. <laughs> he played like 15 years in the NFL. Maybe not he's 15, physical. close to 10. He played like 10 years in the NFL, and then he, he pulled Thanos on everyone. He retired on a farm. <laughs> yeah, what a beast. <laughs> <laughs> what a great guy, too. He sent – oh, my – dude, he had a Snapchat uh, a couple weeks ago when all the Rodgers-Cobb stuff was going on. 
And uh, so obviously Cobb's coming back. Devontae's there, Aaron Rodgers. And then he uh, puts on his uh, Snapchat or something, a picture of him and his wife on his couch. And he's wearing his helmet, his NFL helmet, and a Jordy <laughs> Nelson jersey. Just like me going into 2021. <laughs> Such a fun loving guy. Anyway, find us on Twitter at FFlexecution. All the big news goes through us. Well, gets retweeted by us anyway. So if you want it without the clickbait, follow us at FFlexecution. Hit me up at FFMasterDebater. Amen. Hope you guys like the show. Peace.